The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today is May Day, May 1st, and traditions going back to prehistory reflect the welcoming of spring and the fertility uh, of the earth. It's the pagan festival of Beltane when maypoles are erected and bonfires got lit in Ireland by the Celts. I can remember the first time as students at our seminary that my wife and I erected a maypole and organized students in a dance to celebrate the fertility of Mother Earth. The labor movement, too, in honor of the common man and woman, latched on to May Day in celebration of the ordinary worker and the virility of human production and human energy. Communist movements in Russia and China still march and celebrate the day while on another tack, the Catholic Church celebrates Mary, the mother of Jesus, as the embodiment of physical and spiritual fertility, the crossbreeding, if you will, that took place and I dare say still takes place between the physical world and the spiritual one. One of the reasons the uh, administration at our seminary and churches generally are made uncomfortable by the appearance of maypoles on their property is that they have made little room for the cross-fertilization of the physical and the spiritual. Physicality has too often been painted as the enemy of the spiritual, as if the potency of God's creation was limited to the insemination of Mary to bring Jesus into the world, and then the notion that Jesus was only made to lead us out of here. Treating the world as if it is the enemy is not only an insult to the Creator, it's a denial of why we are here and what we were sent to do. This is the place where love was individualized in order to be celebrated. It's the place God made for love to love itself. Generally speaking, this notion is more than most religions can handle on a day-to-day basis, and so we hardly ever think of life in these terms. I find it interesting that culturally we see the juxtaposition of here and the hereafter most clearly in the celebration of Halloween, with all that evil and death implies at the beginning of winter, while many fewer celebrate the power of rebirth as symbolized in the first day of May. In my work as a hospital chaplain, I recently heard a near-death story that ties the hereafter to nature in a powerful way. The report came from a woman who is quite ill, but has no fear of death whatsoever as a result of her near-death experiences. That is common, but what was so different about this story was that in, as an aspect of nature, the deceased pet of a friend uh, turned out to be the agent of love that told her it was not yet her time. First of all, she told me she had actually saved the dog's life a few years before when she did mouth-to-nose resuscitation for the dog when it had stopped breathing. I should point out that uh, this was not even her dog, but the dog of a close friend. And after that, the dog really bonded to her, which makes me think the dog uh, himself had an NDE and watched the woman save his life. A few years passed. The dog died. And subsequently, the woman died and experienced another NDE. She was met by the deceased dog on the other side, and the two traveled together to a door to heaven. She said there were no angels, no relatives, 
but the dog himself told her that it was not yet her time. She told me the dog spoke to her telepathically and also by a gesture of his head that she would have to wait for another time to join the dog in heaven. Last week's show included the report from our guest, Sharon Milliman, that she had encountered Jesus a number of times right here on earth in a variety of situations. The one she shared in detail was Jesus' visit to a choir presentation in her church when she was 15, where he asked where he could sit and watch the performance and actually performed a healing on another woman. Reports like that tend to flummox church teaching, which envisions Jesus' return on clouds of glory to bring on the end times, but can't wrap itself around the notion that Jesus drops into this world from time to time to communicate a truth or a blessing. And yet, why not? If the curtain is so thin between this world and the other side that we can cross over and back in a near-death experience, why not expect angels and Jesus himself to be here in modern dress from time to time? It lends validity to the notion of God's love for his creation and the immediacy, the closeness of the spiritual world to us as well. The Catholic Church does the best among churches in acknowledging the possibility, but they limit the times and places and meaning of it all to their own understanding of theology, rather than letting the experience broaden that theology. Appearances at Fatima and Lourdes are celebrated, but the common communications between here and there are often ignored or discouraged. And often the experiencers are limited to a few people, often a few children, so as to limit the interpretation of such events. There have been some exceptions, Magigoria in the former Yugoslavia, and Zaitung in Egypt, where thousands saw uh, an apparition, a vision of Mary standing on the wall. My chaplain beat used to include a local dialysis center, where I happened to make a close friendship with a newspaper writer named Ron Brown. Most people stuck on dialysis machines for three to four hours, three days a week, spend their time watching TV or sleeping. But Ron was always writing, writing. And there was always a yellow pad on his lap. But for months he wouldn't tell me what he was writing about. Finally, he shared the story with me. It seems that one night a vision in blue appeared before him while he was at home in bed and identified herself as Mary. Now, Ron was raised a Baptist. He had no Catholic-style appreciation for such an event, but subsequent visitations compelled him finally to write about the experience and the messages he was given. And I thought uh, today I'd fill out the rest of this May Day show by reading from the late Ron Brown's journal, which he left me. This is from Ron. As extraordinary or bizarre, actually, as it may sound, I asked the Virgin Mary early on in a discussion of April 2006 if she could show me a glimpse of heaven. Oh, my, did she ever. What a wondrous vision I will attempt to describe for you here. Picture the bluest blues you can imagine. Then picture layers upon layers of celestial regions that possess the whitest whites and the bluest blues, inhabited, of course, by seas of glorious souls who live there for eternity. 
As I write this today, I hear the Virgin Queen's voice admonishing me so sweetly to tell the world that heaven is a place, a real geographical place, not some imaginary place that only the mind can conjure up. For according to her now, as I recall what I have seen, she is cautioning me to relay its splendor and its location. As I believe this is a real place, it exists beyond the realm of the greatest stars and moons. Its creation continues daily. For surely millions already inhabit its layered splendor, while millions more will soon call it home. Tell them that its splendor is beyond earthly description, she says, and that it is worth whatever suffering they must endure to enter. For there will be no suffering here. Jesus has promised that, and my children must endure, for the journey here will be swift, painless, and magnificent. Heaven, it should be noted, is a real palpable realm. It's not a fixation or creation or of an active spiritual or otherwise type of imagination. Some nights I lie awake, close my eyes, and see the magnificent splendor of it all. Questions come to mind immediately about heaven's structure, its length, its breadth, and of course its majesty. Earthly descriptions pale in comparison to the vision I have seen, and the music, yes, there is music too, so serene, so celestial, so magnificent. The only word I can use to describe it is symphonic and choral. It's as if the skies are filled with the beauty and the splendor of hundreds, no, thousands of skilled voices. Are these the angels we've read and heard about for centuries? Flashing lights occupy the pageantry as if I could, and if I could paint or draw and Make no mistake, I can't. It's like a scene from a movie scripted by the most talented director of them all, God himself. This is part of the vision that I asked for, really. I I wanted to see heaven, and I wanted to see hell. I first saw the layers of the place, but in the distance of the third layer, I could see a city. Its golden hue was magnificent. It was as if I was looking through a window of clouds to see what I could see. Clouds passed me there, and I always came away with these visions. Yes, I have seen heaven more than once, feeling like I am seeing two consistent things each time. I asked the Holy Mother why I was given the opportunity to view what others, including myself, only dream about. Her response was simple and serene. You've been chosen, my son, she said, and this is only the beginning. And it was. Throughout the initial vision, I always had the strong impression that this was a preface to more, other, more vital information from the Holy Queen. I can close my eyes any time of day and see the picture of where we all seek to spend our eternity. The two consistent elements of heaven that I see are the spiritual bodies of its inhabitants, my, what splendor we will attain, and the splendor of the city in the distance. In our own earthly depictions of the afterlife, we all have a tendency to to make um, things humanly normal. But let me tell you in a nutshell that we are wrong. The people I see in heaven maintain physical characteristics that I am certain they had on earth. The chief features are facial, but there is colorful hue about each person, so magnificent accompanying each being. I could not hear conversations, nor was I meant to, but there was communication communication which appeared to be a common language. Have all souls developed a heavenly language, or are we given a a scriptural interpretation mechanism that is universal? I feel in my heart that heaven's levels 
are celestially hierarchical, as far-fetched as that may sound. I feel it. I can almost touch it. I see different types of being uh, on the levels. My schooling and my upbringing, then, may be telling me that earthly deeds have and will place us in different sections of the place. The obvious question, then, is this. Is there opportunity for improvement throughout eternity, or is the purgation process all-encompassing and everyone resumes the same station? Believing in my heart that purgatory is strictly a spiritual realm with no physical characteristics associated with celestial beings, I would say that I felt in part the vision that advancement within heaven is a real thing. An odd but powerful element of this communication with the Holy Mother is the overwhelming sense that heavenly inhabitants can communicate with loved ones and friends that have, that are either in purgatory or in the depths of hell. Consider that, then consider how awesome the aforementioned experiences would and could be. Sometimes I could hear the anguished cries of the doomed. In unison they came to me and then they were silent. There was always talk of advanced communication and its sorted possibilities in heaven. In a word, I saw more of that. The magnificent city loomed in the distance. Yes, there was gold, streets, and streets of it. One of the strongest visions has been the Holy Queen's desire to see the Holy Rosary shared with more people. I felt a strong message that I would see each mystery as if... as if I were there to witness them. The thought to accept such a notion at first flabbergasted me. After all, I am a layman, albeit a decent one, who has been chosen to share with the world visions of the supernatural. Scenes that have staggered the imagination but remain true and real nonetheless. The energy required to see, if you will, what I am about to describe was minimal. It was as if I could turn on a small television set and experience the fantastic historical biblical scenes first person i became a witness to the splendor and glory of our faith in total i could not only see and witness the event but i could also hear them the events but i could also hear them i could feel the weather including the heat of the day but also the precipitation it was as if i had stepped back in time to witness these awesome awesome moving sights I saw individuals. I wanted to reach out and touch them. At times I felt as if I could. The best place to begin this marvelous retelling of what I feel is true is at the beginning of the mysteries. For each narrative recitation of these mysteries, wonders will be told here as I see them. As strange as this may sound, I feel the overwhelming desire to describe them here as I see them. I am then a witness to what transpired over 20 centuries ago. The Holy Mother's request to me was brief. My narrative was to increase interest in the Holy Prayer. It is to capture the times, to bring more people into the prayer life of the Holy Rosary, and to lead others to Christ who may have failed to grasp the mysteries and their significance through the years. Let's begin with the joyful mysteries. I can see the worried look on St. Joseph's face, but mostly I am struck by the absolute majesty of the angel Gabriel. What a creature. 
His voice is melodic. No, that's not even a good description. It is deep like a bass fiddle, but soothing. Admittedly, this is the first angel I've heard. I'm probably not alone in that, I'm guessing. Powerful, stately in our terms, but so musical in nature. The author of the very first Hail Mary is so serious and so splendid, and the Holy Mother is overwhelmed, blushing at the prospect. I feel strongly that she knew her plight, if you will, long before the miraculous visitation. What is incredible is in all this is that I have been led to feel it all, the power of the visitation, the fear of the teenage girl, the air in the room tingled with the divine presence. But I am there. Consider it. This is no pipe dream. Oh, that I could inhale this heavenly presence, swallow it, take it home with me and breathe it each time I fell into despair in the darkness of normal prayer. How long will I be allowed to see the visions I'm feeling? How long will I be allowed to glimpse at the Holy Mother? How long will she see fit to include me in this miraculous visit vision? There are birds in the air. They are singing Gabriel's arrival. The angel has a glow. I feel power, but I feel wisdom oozing from his being. And his eyes are orbs that have been, that have seen the majesty of God and looked away in his presence. Oh, holy queen, what would you have me do? Mary was blessed and admonished to care for herself and the Christ child by following ancient traditions of childbirth. Consider the human element involved in the entire process and how overwhelming it must have been. I am there. It puckles the imagination. And then, alone, she cries. I want to rub the tears from her face, but I'm not worthy. I want to brush the auburn hair. It's so magnificent from her forehead. She has the countenance of a queen, even then. I wonder if she can see me there. I'm in a room with a window. I can see trees, although I can't make them out. I see men in the street. They're talking in a language I don't know. And the angel is gone. He does not ascend. He simply disappears. And there is a breeze in that room, a whirlwind, really, and the Holy Queen lies down on the floor and prays. The communication I experience today is the Virgin, rather, speaking my language. But these scenes, these visions... It is a language unfamiliar to me, Aramaic perhaps. In my lifetime I have attended spectacular visual events, but nothing matches the wonders of the colors and the perceptions of what lies just inches away in the first mystery of the rosary. The Visitation how beautiful the two women are, pregnant with historical and biblical figures such as John the Baptist and Jesus. There, there they are in their mother's wombs, and the joy of childbirth so evident in the faces of the women in this mystery. They embrace each other. They are happy after all, and there are tears of joy. They touch each other's abdomen. They are giddy even. Mary is the more solemn of the two. There are birds in the air chirping. Is this the Holy Spirit? I feel it is. The men are there, Zachariah and Joseph, and they are more solemn. They all go into the simple house and pray. 
It is a special mystery and a fantastic vision to retell. I hope I do it justice. Please, Holy Spirit, instill in me the capability to do these wonders justice in a humble way. The birth of Jesus. The single most fantastic birth in the history of mankind placed me there in a damp stable. Oddly, and certainly not scripturally sound, there is a woman there aiding Mary and Joseph in the process. Is it the innkeeper's wife? Were midwives present in such events at this time in history? I do not know. She is a large woman carrying basins to and fro, and Joseph smiles at her. Joseph looks like a man taking the weight of the world on his shoulders. The Christ child is radiant, so beautiful. And then there are angels. They hover over the entire premises. They seem to be talking among themselves. There is symphonic melody sweeping the quiet of the countryside. It's an incredible scene. Jesus looks so perfect, so pure. And his mother, our blessed Mary, holds him close to her bosom. She speaks to him in a language I do not know. She seems to be assuring him that all is right with the world. It's a glorious scene, and at all times I feel like I am invading the privacy of the holiest of all births. The Presentation of Jesus When Mary and Joseph entered the temple, there was a hush. Simeon was there, and he held the Christ child. Oddly, he wanted him for a day, but Mary and Joseph politely, as politely as one can in that circumstance, couldn't bear to part with Jesus. Finding the Christ child, the, sorry, finding the child Jesus in the temple. Associated with this vision of Joseph and Mary losing their child for three days is the joy and wonderment of their finding him in the temple, quote, going about his father's business. This vision is marvelous. For Jesus, standing on one foot, then on the other, and politely, ever so politely, arguing with temple goers, he is assuming his divinity, but he is childlike in his recitation. He is a handsome boy, radiant, so confident, but still shifting his feet as his dissertation continues. When Jesus speaks, the temple is quiet. His presence is electrifying, even then, some 18 years before he comes of age, biblically. Biblically. Yes, there are looks of annoyed bewilderment, but this is, after all, the Son of God. It is a vision I will carry with me for the rest of my days. Of all the mysteries of the Holy Rosary, the glorious mysteries were by far the most vivid and the most powerful in not only the strength of their vision, but also in their vivid clarity. I say this openly and prayerfully, for above all, in this visitation of the supernatural, I felt not only their presence, but the holy impact of their activities. Sounds strange? I'm sure it does, and yet their hold on me is greater today than it was the first day I prayed them and meditated upon them. Let's begin. The first glorious mystery, the resurrection of our Lord. Talk of the Shroud of Turin immediately came to mind as I watched the bright light in Jesus' tomb consume the whole sepulcher. Then, emblazoned in that aura, the resurrected body of our Lord sat up. Yes, you read that correctly. The first movement in the tomb is Jesus sitting up. 
I am there with him as he gently folds the burial cloth, after removing it from his head. Jesus places it on the slab where he lay, and then he stands. The light is so powerful, so radiant, that I feel I have to shield my eyes from its glare. There's thunder in the distance. There is fear outside of the tomb. Scholars have studied for years the famous burial cloth, and yet it is so obvious that this supernatural event made and quite frankly left its mark on the traditional burial cloth. The light was almost explosive in nature. Could such a phenomenon have marked, have left marks of a man who was tortured? I did not, however, see the imprint of Jesus' torture. I did, however, see the light that was almost strobe-like in intensity. Oh my, I'm thinking, this was God's hand in that tomb. This is what resurrection truly is. Humans have no way of knowing what bringing a body back to life entails, and I am here to witness it. The Roman soldiers hear the commotion and then fail to in in fear of what is transpiring. And then Jesus moves through the wall of the sepulcher. The stone has been moved, and he takes a different route. I see him float momentarily. His body is almost opaque, and then he is gone. Miraculous is the only word that comes to mind here. I've witnessed the event that has been the cornerstone of religion for by rising from the grave with God's hand, of course. The faith of our fathers is founded and in all its glory. How very humble I am indeed to be a witness to such an incredible set of circumstances. The second glorious mystery, the ascension of our Lord. Jesus is speaking to the crowd gathered below him when suddenly he is taken up off the earth. He is smiling now, and the disciples are are falling prayerfully as they look amazingly up toward him. This is a sight so unusual in the human experience that I ask the Holy Queen if Jesus is going to a place that is palpable in terms of human understanding. I get a strong urge to ponder space, and I am reassured, as she so often does, of the existence of heaven, and that, yes, indeed, it is a real place. Somewhere in outer space, I am thinking, as only a mere mortal can. Yes, my son, she assures, but no mortal could ever find it. The cloud that engulfs Jesus there is not large. His words are vivid. Even then, his presence is spectacular, kingly, dominant. He looks bigger high above us. He is truly the Son of God. The Descent of the Holy Spirit, the third glorious mystery. There were hundreds of birds, doves actually, hovering over the roof of the building where the Virgin Mary and the disciples were gathered. Suddenly the birds turn to flames and the Holy Spirit enters each one. The scene is miraculous. The participants begin to speak in various languages unfamiliar to me. They're radiant. They laugh and they cry. They are embracing. Mary herself seems pensive as if she knew what was ahead. She weeps with joy for what she has seen. She embraces each one there as if she is communicating to each one a message from above. Picture what she has seen in her life and picture what she knows about the proceedings. 
The fourth glorious mystery, the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Few visions struck me as powerfully as the sight of the Holy Queen ascending from earth to her rightful place in heaven. I know her to be 68 years old. Her blessed son, Jesus, did not want her to suffer death on earth. And there she is above a throne of flowers rising, spinning even into the clouds. The looks of awe are evident on the faces of those below her on earth, but the awesome attitudes of several are more assuring because some of the spectators are ones who witness Christ's ascension. Mary is assumed through uh, God's hand by Jesus Christ. Christ did not want his mother to suffer as he had suffered. And I'm going to stop there. That's really all we have time for today. But one last thing. Ron was very sick and intense pain at the end. I spent time with him at his home and he asked and asked him to say goodbye to let me know he was all right when he did die. The next night, about 3.20 in the morning, I felt what I can only describe as a soul hug, a hug which reached through my physical body and wrapped itself around my spirit body in a feeling of joy and celebration and liberation. I knew it was Ron, and the next day Ron's wife let me know that that hug came at the moment of his death. If you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about the work of IANS and our upcoming conference in Denver, check out that website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying, Happy May Day, and thanks for listening.